Let's get to Bible study. It's 715. I've been talking airplanes long enough. Oh, me. Never thought I'd ever fly another one, Keith. Now I'm flying them every day. I love it every minute of it. Oh, I, I, was, I was talking to a guy today, and he was wanting to sell an airplane. And, and I asked his son, I said, it's such a beautiful airplane, too. And I said, why do you want to sell it? He said, well, my dad's getting to be an old man, and he's stove up, and he can't get in and out of it no more. I said, how old is your dad? He said, he's 60. <laughs> he's an old man, and he's stove up, and he can't get in and out of it. I just thought to myself, Lord, the more I study this book, the more, the more wonderful it becomes. You know, to think how when we read the Word, we know these promises that God gives us, and if you don't know them, I mean, you know, you can come down and be sick and afflicted and tormented and everything. And, and I, had a great, I had a great trip yesterday. I went to Norfolk, Virginia yesterday, and it was, a, it was a God thing all the way. I sat beside a 26-year-old Baptist preacher that was fixing to get his first church. <clears throat> he had graduated from seminary. Boy, when he asked me, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He said, oh, he said, I'm a pastor. I said, great. I said, uh, are you mixed up with the denomination? He said, yeah, I'm Southern Baptist, and I'm fixing to get my first church in South Carolina. I said, great. He said, what are you associated with? I said, I was a Southern Baptist <laughs> until a few years ago, and now I'm a pastor of a non-denominational church. He said, what caused you to get out of the Baptist? I said, because they didn't believe what I teach. <laughs> he said, well, what do you teach? And so I said, God, give me a healing ministry. He said, well, we believe in healing if it's God's will. <laughs> I said, that's why I got out of the Baptist church right there. I said, if you don't know about, enough about God's Word to find out what His will is, I said, He won't heal you. I said, He's a faith God, and He only works to faith. And so anyway, boy, we had a great trip. Of course, the further we went, he asked me questions like, do you believe in eternal salvation? I said, I sure do. He said, great, we agree on that. I said, but that's conditional. He said, What? I said, yeah, if, if you remain faithful to the Lord and if you serve him and, you know, really put him first, yeah, you have eternal salvation. He said, are you telling me you think you can lose your salvation? I said, I know you can. <laughs> he disagreed with me there completely, 100%. I said, that's okay, son. I said, how old are you? He said, 26. I said, great. <laughs> I said, get in the Word, study it, and pray over it. And I said, eventually God will reveal it to you. I said, you know a whole lot more 26 than I did when I was 26. I said, I didn't know nothing. And then, of course, when I got to Norfolk, the guy picked me up. Uh, we started talking about the Word. And he, he was a Catholic. And we went over and looked at some equipment and then came back. And on the way back, he taking me back to the airport. And we talked about the Word and everything. And as we were talking about the Word, you know, he says, you know, you must have really studied this book. He said, every time you make a statement, you tell me what book it's in, what chapter, and what verse it is. And he said, I ain't never seen nobody like that. And I said, but he said, I didn't know these things you're talking about either. And I said, have you ever seen God do a miracle? He said, a what? <laughs> I said, have you ever seen him do a healing? He said, no. I said, well, let me tell you about a few I've seen him do, some of the nicer ones. And I told him a few. Boy, when he let me off the airport, he said, I'll say one thing. You have whet my appetite to go home this afternoon and study my Bible. And that's what we're all about, right, Michael? <clears throat> See, that's what it's all about. This man says he knows Jesus as his Lord and Savior, but he don't know who the king is. You know, but welcome to the family. I lived there a long time as a son of God, and I didn't know who the king was either. 
but I know him a little bit now. Not much, but a little bit. And the more you learn about him, the more you love him, the more you understand how gracious and merciful and loving he is. Wow. You thank God, if I'd have been you, I would have killed me a long time ago. <laughs> Michael's life and over there. He knows God's merciful grace if he would. He definitely would have killed him a long time ago. <laughs> but aren't we grateful? Oh, are we grateful. Thank you, Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you and praise you for this evening at Tuesday night Bible study. We worship you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the beautiful things you put in this book. Oh, how we praise you and worship you and thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, for the magnificent promises. Now, Lord, we ask you to give us spiritual understanding, revelation, wisdom, and knowledge, and understanding from your word. You said, ask, and you shall receive. So, Lord, we're asking you to reveal this word to us in a deeper way, with a deeper understanding than we've ever had it. Lord, we thank you for doing that for us. And, Lord, we ask you to use us mightily, every one of us, for your glory in these last days because we're here to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. This is all about Jesus. And, Lord, we're thankful that we get to be a part of your magnificent body. So, Lord, bless us tonight as we read and study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. All right. <clears throat> Let's start out tonight in First Peter. I thought that would be a good place to go. First Peter chapter 1, start with verse 16. Or somewhere thereabout. First Peter chapter 1. And uh, in fact, we might start a couple of verses even before that. Yeah. Right, let's start with, uh, uh, let's see, that would be. I guess about verse 12. I started at verse 12 or 11, 11 or 12, somewhere along there. So let's think clearly and exercise self-control. Let's start out with that thought. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the special blessing that will come to you at the return of Jesus Christ. Obey God because you are His children. Obey God because you are His children. Don't slip back into your old ways of doing evil. You didn't know any better then. Verse 15, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God. Now you must be holy in verse 15. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God, who chose you to be His children, is holy. For it is, for He Himself said, you must be holy because I am holy, in verse 16. For he himself said, you must be holy because I am holy. Well, you know, because it's written, the King James says it is written, 
I, I looked up, be ye holy. Just that phrase. And I'll just tell you a few places. I did not realize how many places in the Old Testament that was written. But the Lord, he saw in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7, he's talking about the children. They needed to be holy because he's holy. And then in Exodus 22, 31, he's talking about be holy, for I am holy. Then in Leviticus 11, 44 and 45, both verses, he says, be holy because I am holy. This is under the law. Then in Leviticus 19, 2, he talks about be ye holy for I am holy. And then Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, he says, be ye holy for I am holy. And then in Leviticus 23, 2, be ye holy for I am holy. And then in Numbers 15, 40, be ye holy for I am holy. You reckon he's trying to tell us something, Keith? I think so, don't you? Be ye holy. And we come to the New Testament, and he says now that for he himself has said, you must be holy because I am holy. So he's telling you and me again, be holy for I am holy. In other words, be holy in everything you do. Not in some things, in everything. We, the children of God, are to be a unique, set-apart, called-out group of people, and everything we do is to be different than what the world does it. We're not supposed to fit into the world nowhere. I mean, in what we watch on television, it's not we're not supposed to fit in with them. The magazines and things that we read are not supposed to fit in with them. The dirty jokes the world tells, we're not supposed to fit in with them. You as a man are not, or a woman too, I'm sure there's some women, God just as foul a mouth as some men. But if you are a Christian, you walk up and somebody's telling dirty jokes. Or if you're in a restaurant, <clears throat> and I'm telling you, I've had this happen to me several times in my life. As an engineer, I've been out in the field. We go somewhere to eat, three or four of us guys. We'd be sitting there eating. Of course, nobody's talking about Jesus. I try to talk about Jesus, but they won't talk about work. They don't want to talk about Jesus. So, but at least we're there together. And they all knew that I was one of those holy freaks. You know. So if they used profanity... You know, they didn't use it around me. They, they just learned real quick that, you know, that's just different. So they respected that, and I'm grateful that they did. But I've been in a restaurant lots of times, and some guy right at the table or two down be telling dirty jokes or cussing or, or whatever, and I'd just listen to it a little while, and then I'd get up and walk over to him and say, say, Sir, I said, are you a Christian? And sometimes they'd say yes. And I said, well, sir, if you really are a Christian, then the Lord says we're supposed to let every word comes out of our mouth glorify him. And I don't think your language is glorifying God. So I believe if I was you, I would change my vocabulary. You know. But if a guy says, no, I'm not a Christian, I say, well, sir, I am a Christian. And I would greatly appreciate it you know, if you would not use profanity here. You know. And, you know, a lot of times they will honor that. They will. And so <clears throat> just recently I was in a restaurant uh, here, not too far from here. And uh, I told the manager one night, I said, if those kind of people continue to hang around in here and do what they do, I won't ever come back to this place. Because I said, these guys are using foul language. They're trying to pick up girls. I said, when pretty girls walk by, they're slapping them on the backside and pro proposition them right there. I said, you know, if these guys hang out here, I won't be here. I will not come back to this restaurant. It's just like the, <laughs> it's been quite a while ago, and I was going home and I stopped at a McDonald's in Louisville. And I thought, on the way home, I hadn't had any, it was Sunday, I hadn't had anything to eat because I used to fast all, every Sunday. I don't do that now as much, but I used to fast every Sunday. So I hadn't had anything to eat all day. On the way home that night, <clears throat> it was extremely late, 
10, 30, 11 o'clock, and there was a McDonald's up on the far side of Louisville that stays open till midnight. And I thought, you know, I'll just stop in there and get me an ice cream cone. That sounds so good. So I stopped and got out, and, of course, I still had my suit, everything on. You know, I go in, I'm standing in line in there, and a guy walks up to me. He says, sir, well, I, let me, I, I'd like to talk to you. I said, well, what can I do for you, son? He said, I want to sell you some of these magazines. I looked at them, and they're porno magazines. I said, son, are you a Christian? And I said it about that loud. He jumped back, and he said, well, yes. I said, well, where do you go to church? He said, well, I'm not from here. I said, I didn't ask you where you was from. I just wanted to know if you are a Christian. You said, yes, I want to know where you go to church. He said, sir, would you quiet down a little bit? I said, no. I want to know where you go to church. He said, well, well I'm, I'm not from here. I said, well, you know, if you really were a Christian, you wouldn't be selling porno magazines in a place like this. And I mean, I began to really read it. I said, you know, Christians, real Christians don't do this kind of stuff. He said, sir, would you be quiet? And he heads for the door. And man, he hits that door running. And he walks out and I stand there and several people looking at me. I said, you know, if anybody else ain't in here, if in here is not a Christian, I can tell you how to become one. You know, nobody said a word. I just went up and got my ice cream and praised the Lord and left. Hey, I don't want to be a normal Christian. Do you? I don't want to be a normal Christian. I want, the Lord said, if I will not confess him before man, he will not confess me before the Father which is in heaven. If I'm ashamed of the king, hey, he's going to be ashamed of me. And when he's ashamed of me, guess him, what, you, what do you think the chances are of me getting the prayer answered? Oh, you was ashamed of me down there in that McDonald's sermon. You wouldn't say nothing about me, you know, so don't come to me and ask me for nothing, you know. I mean, you know, I don't think most of us see that side of God, you know, but he's God and he wants you, he wants everybody to know he's God and he, they're going to learn it through you and me. That's the way they're going to know it. I mean, he's done everything else in the world to prove to everybody he's God. All you got to do is just like Paul said in Romans chapter one, just look. You know, just look. You can see that I'm God for no other reason because of this magnificent creation and my divine attributes. You know, you know that I'm God. I mean, you can walk out that door daytime or nighttime and look. And if you, if you can't tell from what you see that there's a God that designed and ordained all this, there's something wrong with you. You know, something wrong with you. But a lot of people don't believe that. <clears throat> but anyway, the Lord is telling us right here in First Peter. He himself was holy. He's telling you and me to be holy because he was holy. And like I say, that's just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine places that I looked up. There was many more, but I didn't write any more down. I thought, well, if you can't get it from those few, then you just continue to beat it in you. Because if he told them that many times in the Old Testament to be ye holy, for I am holy, then we missed it. And in the New Testament, he's telling us, and then this, this next verse, <clears throat> wow, verse 17, and remember, I, I, I really like this NLT. This is what I told this Catholic guy. I told him, I said, he said, man, I, he said, where do you get this all this stuff? I said, out of the Bible. He said, well, I read the Bible and I didn't understand it. I said, well, let me give you one that you can read, the NLT. So we got to the airport and he said, now, what did you say the name of that Bible was again? I took out one of my business cards and wrote down on the back of it. The New Living Translation, the NLT. And I said, this is it. This way you won't let that devil steal it from you again. You've got it written down. He said, well, I just stopped by this afternoon on the way home 
and get me one of those and start reading it. He said, you have really whet my appetite to read this book. I said, this book's really interesting, <laughs> really interesting, especially when you read it slow and prayerfully. Now, listen to what he's saying here. Some people read this and don't believe this is for us today. But he says here in verse 17, and remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites when he judges. It don't make no difference to him if he's, if you, some people say, well, you know, I've got to be God's favorite. I do so much stuff for the kingdom of God. Guess what God would say about that? I don't have any favorites. Is that what he said? Ain't nobody my favorite. None of you are my favorites. He said, I love you all and I treat you and judge all of you the same. And I am grateful that he does that. He says, he will judge or reward you, either one. He will judge or reward you according to what you do on earth. Now, how would you like to come to the end of your life and you haven't done anything for Jesus? That's going to be scary. Isn't it, Michael? That's going to be tough. But when, we talked to, <laughs> when we talked to this Baptist preacher the other day, did Ty tell you about us going down and talking to... Whoa! I'm telling you, we went down and we spent all day with a Baptist preacher that died and went to heaven and was there a whole day. And then he got to take a trip of the spirit world... And here he was, had been to seminary, you know, had preached on the street, preached in churches, and he thought he had done some wonderful things for Jesus. And he shows up at the door of heaven, and God told him he hadn't done a thing for him. He was his own God. He was not going to get a single reward when he come into heaven. Now, how would you like to be a preacher like that? Ouch. That's what I said, too. Ouch. He said, you didn't believe my promises. He said, I told you things I'd do, and you didn't believe none of them. You know, he said, you didn't do nothing for me. He said, everything you did, you did for yourself. said, you was your own God. And he's talking to a Baptist preacher like that. And that Baptist preacher begged God to let him come back and produce fruit for the kingdom. And he sent him back in 1979. And only a few Fridays ago, we went and sat down and talked to him all day long. And it was a very interesting conversation. It really was. So, and some people will believe, some people will tell you that this can't happen. You know, they, this can't happen. Nobody can die and get to those gates and then come back. But you don't know who God is. You know, you don't have a clue who the king is. I mean, he can do anything he wants to do. It's just like, uh, I'm trying to think of what that, uh, Richard Eby. When Richard Eby, he was a medical doctor. And when Richard Eby, some of you have seen him on TBN probably, but when Richard Eby died, he fell off of a third-story house up in Chicago. His sister had died, and he was about 60 years old, and he was a doctor, very, very wealthy doctor. He had a big hospital out in California and all kinds of stuff. And he goes up there, and he's getting his house ready, and he goes out on the porch. And, of course, there's a lot of rain and snow and everything else up there. So the upstairs third-floor porch had rotted, and he leaned on it. And when he did, it broke, and he fell from the third floor head first and hit on a curb right on his head and busted his head open and brains on the sidewalk and everything else. He's DOA, you know. They come get him, pronounce him DOA, take him to the hospital, DOA, put him in the morgue there and put him in a cold table and, you know, every, what they normally do, and uh, put him in a cold room. And uh, the Lord spoke to his wife and told her, said, they're going to call you and tell her that Richard's dead, but said he's not. Said you're to go to Chicago and claim him. And so she gets on an airplane, goes up there, and of course they do call her, 
And so what hospital is in, he goes up to, she goes, I said, I need to pick up my husband. <clears throat> they said, ma'am, your husband is dead. And she said, no, no, he's not dead. The Lord spoke to me and told me to come get him. He's not dead. And so one of the ladies, nurses or whatever, she finally said, okay, at her persistence, I will show you. And they took her down to the morgue, pulled out the cold table where he was, and he set up. And the lady passed out. <clears throat> Now, what can God do? Hey, we don't know who he is if you don't think he can do that. That's a piece of cake for the king. I mean, if you can take some old uh, bones of a prophet that's been laying there for years, and they take a man that out of David's bunch got killed, and they threw him in, and he fell on them bones, the guy come back to life, hey, that's written in the Word of God. <laughs> what can God do? <laughs> he has no limitations. He can do awesome things. But anyway, Richard Evie, after God raised him from the dead, and used him, and he told about heaven. He showed him heaven, told him how beautiful it was, and then he sent him back. said, go back and tell my people, you know, I'm coming soon and get ready. Well, he said one day he was over in Israel, and he was in the Lazarus tomb, and he said the light went out, and it got pitch black in there. And he said, I felt something, and I knew that was God. I said, Lord, is that you? He said, yes, son. He said, I'm fixed to take you on another trip. He said, Lord, where are you taking me this time? He said, I took you to heaven and showed you how wonderful it was, or is, and you've told my people how beautiful it is, but said, now I'm going to take you on a trip to hell because I want you to tell them how bad hell is. He said, Lord, I remember seeing him on television now. He said, Lord, I'm washed in the blood. You can't take me to hell. You know how, Lord, you can't do this. And he said, the Lord whispered my ear, said, son, I'm God. I can do anything I want to do. And he said, down to hell I went. He said, I was only down there a few minutes, but he said, boy, was it awesome. It was awful, he said. It was worse than awful. He said, you don't want to go there. I mean, he said, there was 10,000 demons in that cell with me. They were singing the most vulgar, wicked, awful music I ever heard. They was tormenting me. He said, I don't know how anybody could stand it in eternity. He said, I was down there just a few minutes, and he said, it like to drove me out of my mind. That place is awful. He said, you don't want to go there. How many people believe that when they hear that? Most of them say, ah, that guy don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, he knows what he's talking about. Hell is a terrible place, and you do not want to go to that place. But there's going to be a lot of people go there, all because they don't believe these wonderful promises written in this magnificent book. But the Heavenly Father, he judges or rewards you according to what you do on earth. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. Now, every one of us had a very empty life until we come to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, it's amazing how many people never learn what they have in Christ. I mean, they never learn. They don't read the book. I mean, it's, it, they just, just like I was. I was a Sunday school teacher and a deacon, but still I knew so little about this book. I mean, I, mean, I became a born-again Christian at 11 and I was 40 years old before I began to see prayer answered. Almost 40. <clears throat> 35 at least. And I think, how in the world did I go to church every Sunday, every time the door was open, and not learn these promises? Wow. I didn't do much reading. I just didn't. When I did read what little I read, I didn't believe it. Didn't believe it. It can't be true. But it is. This is God talking to you and me, and he's alive and well, and he means exactly what he says in this book. He will do exactly what he says. 
And he says, and the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. This is something else we think about that when we were not our own anymore, people say, well, <clears throat> I may be a Christian, but I can do what I want to. No, you can't. You belong to God. So anytime you do anything before you do it, you need to inquire of the king. Lord, do you want me to do this? You know, there's a man that I really love and is a good friend of mine. He has been asked to do take a position with a great big ministry. And it's a great position. I mean, men would love. They would, you know, just, oh, man, it would be wonderful to have this position with this huge ministry. But he called me the other day and said, will you pray with me? In fact, he even come to see me and said, would you pray with me about this? He said, I would love to do this. But said, if God's not calling me to do this, I don't want this. He said, I don't want it unless God wants me to be there. And I said, well, that's a wise man. And so we prayed and prayed, and he called me again today. And he said, well, I hadn't got my answer yet. He said, but I'm still waiting. He said, I ain't taking that job until God tells me to take it. I said, okay. You know, that's the way to do it. Now, a lot of people, if they were offered a position like this, they'd just jump on it. I said, man, I'll take that. That'll be awesome. Wonderful. Because it is a great position with a large ministry. But if that's not what God wants you to do, you are not going to be successful in that position. Only if God's putting you there. So, wow. He said, he, verse, the next verse, he, he says, He paid for you with the precious life blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him for this purpose long before the world began. And I think about that. That one little statement. Just think. One day, eons ago, God says, son, we're going to make a world. We're going to put people on it. And they're going to make lots of mistakes. They're going to sin because I'm going to put them to the test. I'm going to prove them. And they're not going to pass the test a lot of times. They're going to fail. They're going to sin. They're going to fall short. And every time they fall short, that means they will not be able to inherit my glory. He said, but we're going to have to have a Savior. It's going to have to be somebody that can go pay the price for their sins. I can see Jesus over there now saying, Dad, I'll go. I'm holy. I'm spotless. I'll go. I'll be the Savior of the world. I'll pay the price. That's beyond my ability to comprehend in, in my finite mind. I just I can't even grasp that. But I know it happened because it's written in the Word. Wow. He would pay that price for you and me as wicked as we have been. Wow. As I've said many a time, you look at a lot of people in the kingdom of God. I, had a, I lived a pretty decent, clean life, but I still made some awful, awful things I did some things I am not happy with. If I had have only known what I knew now when I was 11 years old, there's things that I've done that I wouldn't even dream about doing, but I did them, and I'm sorry for them, and I had to have a Savior. Wow. Without that Savior, none of us would be here today. But he knew that, 
before the foundation of the world. He said, I'll pay the price for you. He knew each one of us by name, didn't he? Back then. He knew who would and who wouldn't. And he still came and paid that price. And he even knew, think about this. If Howard Pittman was right that we talked to the other day, if he was right in 1979 and only 2.5% of the people that were dying were going to heaven, and that's what he told us. That's what God showed him. 2.5% that died went to heaven. That's awful. That's like the multitude. But then the king said in his word, narrow is the pathway that leads to eternal life. And few there will be that will find it. Now, we've read that book. We don't realize how narrow that path is. You know, that pathway may only be about as wide as that aisle is, two or three feet. Or maybe it's narrower than that. I don't know. But just think, it's narrow. But the pathway that leads to life is narrow. But the pathway that leads to eternal damnation is broad. And it's real easy to go that route. And he said, many find that path. You know, Howard told us something that kind of, I guess I have to agree with. He said, of course, all the world's lost. And about, well, maybe I got my numbers wrong. Ty, you remember how many, what percentage of the church did he say was saved? 20%? Was that what he said? No, no, the, the church. He said the church, only about 20% of the people that confess or say they're believers are really born-again believers. Only about 20% of them really know Jesus. The rest of them are lost and don't know him. I thought, wow. And that's one of the things that young men, that young Baptist preacher asked me about eternal salvation. He said, well, you know, you can tell who's a Christian, who's not. I said, no, son, you can't tell that. I said, there's no way you can know that. I said, God alone can do that. He's the only one that can do that. I said, he said, but you shall know them by their fruits. I said, well, I know the scripture says that. But I said, it's, a good, it's, it's really nice if people come to church all the time and if they'll tithe and they'll be out doing God's work and their language is clean and it seems like they're producing good fruit and everything. But I said, only God knows the heart. I said, I asked God that question one time years ago. I was in such of a turmoil over different people that were doing different things that some said they were Christians or all the ones I was talking to said they were Christians and some of them I thought Lord these people are doing it wrong you know and I said Lord how can I know for sure who is your children and who's not your children and I asked him that question I had been to Abilene and I was driving home and it was nearly a three-hour drive and I asked him that question over and over and over. That's the only question I asked for almost three hours. And just before I got home, the Lord told me, said, Son, the answer to your question is found in Acts 10.42. Well, I didn't have Acts 10.42 committed to memory at that time. So I pulled over right quick, reached back and got my Bible, and it says, You preach the gospel, and it has been ordained by the Father in heaven. That I, Jesus Christ, will be the judge of both the lost and the saved. Out of that, he told me, son, I only give you folks one job. That's you teach the word. You preach the word. 
It's not your job to decide or determine who's lost and who's saved. You just tell them what I said in my word, and I'll be that final judge. He said, I'll be the one, and when they stand before me, I will know every one of them's heart, every one. And I'll know when they stand before me, I'll know if they're mine or they're not mine. All you need to do is preach the word. Wow. Took a big burden off of my back. I don't have to even be concerned anymore. I just teach the word, and if you believe, and you say you believe, praise God, I believe you're a Christian. I believe you're a Christian. I believe you know Jesus, but there will be many that will stand before him one day, and he'll say, I don't know who you are. But Lord, I went to church every Sunday. He said, I know, but I never knew you. You didn't know me. That's going to be scary, isn't it, John? There's going to be a lot of people that's going to meet that criteria. Wow. But anyway, God chose him for this purpose long before the world begun. But now in these final days, he has sent to the earth for all of us. He was sent to the earth for all of us, and he did this for you. So the world, Jesus belongs to the world. He belongs to anybody that will accept him as Lord and Savior. It doesn't make it who you are or what you've done. And I think... Another thing I think that we get confused on is when we say that Jesus came to die for our sins, all of our sins, past, present, and future. You know, now, I have a problem with that statement made like that. I have a problem because when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He forgives every sin you've committed from, from the day you were born up to right there. Every sin was for was forgiven and washed under the blood, in the blood, and put as far as the east is and the west to never be remembered again. But now you're a Christian. Now you're his child. Now then, tomorrow you got saved. Now you go out and lie. You just sinned. Now then, are you forgiven for that sin? Not until you ask. Not until you repent. That's right. When you repent, now then that sin's been paid for. But what if, what if you were a Christian? What if you were a lost child? I mean, you're, you're the worst. I mean, you've been a murderer, a drunk, a rapist, a killer. I mean, you've done it all. And somebody tells you about Jesus, and you get saved. He cleans you and washes you up. And right now, you've become just as holy as anybody in this church. I mean, you've uh, ever sinned was washed away. But tomorrow, you didn't know much about the Word, and you go out and you kill another guy. Now, you're guilty of murder. Now then, what if, the, what if the state picks you up and sends you and executes you? Yeah, you're going to die. But now what if you ask God to forgive you for that sin? Will he forgive you? Yes, he will. But are you still going to die? Yes, you are. Now, that Margie Mayfield, I had, you know, that's the lady. Any of y'all ever heard of Margie Mayfield? Yeah, that was the lady that was on a Dr. Dodson's show here several years ago when I heard her testimony. That girl had committed the entire book of Ephesians to memory. I mean, she had learned spiritual warfare. And just a precious little lady, I think she lived in San Antonio, and she went out, I think it was a Christmas or something, and she was going out to shop or whatever. She went to a Target or whatever it was, uh, some, some store. And this guy, Stephen, was the number one murderer and rapist in the United States. He had killed and murdered and raped, I forget, 18 or 20 women. And he was number one on the list. 
and she happened to confront him. He had just earlier, the day before, murdered, raped, and killed some woman. And she gets starts to get in her car, and he walks up and sticks a gun in her back and says, Get in your car and scoot over another side, put your hands under your thighs, and don't say a word or I'm going to blow your head off. Now, most women panic. Shelly? <laughs> you don't want that to happen to you, do you, girl? No, you don't. And ain't no other woman in here does either. You know, I just saw your eyes get big with, because, you know, that would terrify any woman. Any woman. Well, this woman, she was not normal by a long ways. She got in the car and he scooted in. And when he did, she reached over. Instead of putting her hands under her thighs, she reached over and grabbed him on the shoulder. And she said, Mr., you're not in control here. I am in the name of Jesus. Now, that takes some woman to do that. And he looked over at her. And, of course, every time he said something to her, she'd come back with the Word of God. And then he looked at her and said, I don't know, woman, you're not a normal woman. Now, I guarantee she was not a normal woman. She began to tell that guy, Stephen, about Jesus. And she even, she was with him all day long. And she's telling him, Stephen, Jesus loves you. I mean, she said, do you have any children yourself? He said, I got one son. He said, do you love him? He said, well, yeah, I love him. She said, Jesus loves you more than you love that boy. Although she didn't, he didn't see him very much. He said, Jesus loves you more than that. Jesus wants to make you, uh, uh, he wants to be your Savior and forgive you of all your sins and all these things. And she's talking, talking, talking. All day she's talking. You, you don't hear this testimony. It's awesome. If you had not heard it, you need to get a copy of it from Focus on the Family. It, it is a great one about Margie Mayfield and this guy, Stephen. Anyway, they're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, Stephen pulls off to the side of the road, throws his hands up, hands her the gun, and said, God, I surrender. <laughs> and she says, what caused that, Stephen? She said, he said, you were telling me all these things, and all of a sudden I hear this voice says, Stephen... Listen to my daughter. She's telling you the truth. If you don't accept me right now, you're going to die and go to hell forever. This is your last chance. God confirmed what she'd been telling by an audible voice. He heard, and he pulled over, and he surrendered. He gave her the gun, and they, she took him to, a, rail, or to a, a bus stop, and the police came and picked him up there, and they put the guy in prison. And before he was getting ready to die, in the chair or the drug in or whatever they do to kill him. The devil got through to him and said, you were a fool. You know, you turned yourself in. You didn't have to die. But he was praying to God. The warden said, it's unreal. We should not have to kill this man. He said, this is the best man I got in the prison. You know, I mean, he really got saved. I mean, here he is a murder and raping, and now then he's the best guy they got in the prison, and they got to kill him. And the warden, he was... So heart broke that he's going to kill this guy because now he's really a Christian. And, but he had to die for his sins. And so he said, Lord, if you are really real, would you please let me see that nice lady that led me to you one more time before I die? So one of Margie's friends came over and said, Margie, I understand they're going to kill Stephen in Huntsville, Texas tomorrow. Let's go down there and see him as he walks down the hallway. She said, I could never go see him again. She said, yes, you must. And so the friend talked her into going. And so when Stephen walked out of that place to walk down that glass corridor to die, and he looked out and he saw her standing there, he knew he was fixing to be in the presence of his king. 
he knew. That is an awesome tape. Like I said, how many of you have heard that tape? Anybody? Joseph, yeah, Eldon's heard it. It's an awesome tape. You know, I guess what I need to do, I need to call, remind me, honey, we'll call Dr. Dodson and uh, we'll get a copy of that. We'll make some copies, you know, and give it to everybody. It is an awesome testimony, you know, but it's about Margie Mayfield and this, this serial killer, Stephen. I can't think of Stephen's last name, but it's amazing what you can do when you don't get into fear. Now, you know some of these women that he killed and mur- murdered and raped and everything. You know some of these women had to be Christian women. But these women didn't know who they were in Christ. They'd never been taught their authority. Yeah. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me put this on the tape. Because so the tape can't hear this. Uh, okay. She was so sure of herself that uh, at one point, they stopped at a store, and she got out, left him in the car, went in the store for him, and came back out to the car, and he was still there. Yeah. Yeah. She, I mean, it's amazing. It's just absolutely, it's, a, it's such an awesome tape. And of course, I heard it. <clears throat> I might not have told everything in it perfect, but I remembered the major points. Right. It was, uh, I think I told it pretty close to right, didn't I? If you heard it, you heard it too, Ellen? Yeah. So, I re- it's an awesome story. It's an awesome story about who we are in Christ. You know, so... How did, she, how did she do what she did? She knew who she was as a daughter of the king. And what did she have in her that gave her that power and authority? The book of Ephesians, the word. She had many other scriptures hidden in her heart, but she had memorized the entire book of Ephesians. Of course, it's only six chapters, but, you know, that's something. Only six chapters, but that's something. There's a lot of power packed in those six chapters in the book of Ephesians. And by doing that, she had the power and the authority by the Holy Ghost to be able to save her life. And, wow, it's, a, it's quite, a, quite an awesome thing. And then it says here, where was I? Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And because God raised Christ from the dead and gave him great victory, your faith and hope can be placed confidently in God. Now then, because of what's been done for you and me, when you take that, you and I, if we walk holy, you notice the, the way it comes down the line here, if we're holy and we walk holy before God, now by faith in the name of Jesus, nothing becomes impossible with us. Faith in the name of Jesus. And it was all because of what Jesus done on the cross. Now, it's by faith in his name that you and I pray and get things done. Because we walk as holy as we can walk, and we probably still don't come close to being holy as Jesus was. The holiest we can be is not that. But since he's in us, and we can have this kind of faith because we can have it because it's in his name. It's by faith in the name of Jesus that we, when we see ourselves as little Jesus Christ. Because who's in you? Jesus Christ. So you are a rolling stone in the, the temple of God. And so when you take and realize that you are a stone or a portion of that temple, and you can start speaking his promises, when you can speak them in faith, they will come to pass. Now, only God knows where your faith level really is. 
Only He knows. And that's why when so many people realize these things are available to them, they try to make these things work. Now, I'll tell right here, Keith told me a little story about himself the other day. He was off on a trip, and he got a problem with his eye. Well, he prayed a little and everything and done some things, but he, his eye didn't get any better. And so he had to, and he's a pilot, and he, had, he was out of town on a trip, so he had to come home because he was not able to fly the airplane with people in it with an eye that was giving him trouble. So he came home, and after he got home, he just decided to take authority in the name of Jesus and said, Lord, my eye belongs to you. I am yours. Now, I know you can fix this body. Now, I'm going to bed tonight, and when I wake up in the morning, I'm not going to have any problem with my eye. Now, with something like that, wasn't it, Keith? That's exactly the way it happened. And he woke up the next morning when he truly put his trust in Jesus, making that awesome statement that I know, Lord, when I wake up in the morning, you're going to heal my eye. It's done because this temple is not mine. It's yours. And I know I'm going to dedicate it to you. And I know you're going to heal your temple. And he woke up the next morning and hadn't had no trouble with that eye since. Have you, Keith? Yeah. Did you have a statement you wanted to make, Michael? Did you, I saw you raise your hand or something. Did you? I was, I was just a grand. Oh. It just reminded me of the time that uh, cancer came to visit my body, yeah. and and I was and I was I made a statement to God that that you've corrected me on. You really brought some light to the subject that God allowed this cancer, you know. And and I, that's why I was saying, God, I know you didn't, you you know, you allowed this, but that was really not true. That's right. Yeah. And and I was crying out to the Lord, and I said, God, I've given you everything. I'm living for you. I'm doing everything for you. Why is this happening to me? And he spoke to me and said, how long are you going to put up with that? Yeah, yeah. So I didn't put up with it long. Yeah. And uh, I cursed it, just like Jesus cursed the fig tree. And in a week or two, it was gone. And the last thing I knew was the Holy Ghost, because I wasn't that smart. I said, and don't ever come back. Amen. And so it's gone. It left. In a, in a week or two, it was gone, and it's never been back, and yeah. it'll never come back. Yeah. Now, there's, there's, there's one or two things that he told me that night when we was talking about this. That really stuck to me, too, that everybody needs to know. After he cursed it and spoke of it and everything, commanded it to leave his body after all sins were repented of and everything else, the next morning when he went in and raised his arms, it was still there. It even looked bigger. But he said, you might as well leave because I ain't taking no for an answer. See, and every day when he saw this, he never got into unbelief. He said, you're out of here. I mean, the next day it's still there. 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 Every time he raised his arms, those knots around his arms, he said there were times they even looked like they were bigger. But he said, you're out of here. You ain't staying in the name of Jesus. Well, about a week or ten days or whatever it was, he raised his arm one day and they were gone. And they have never been back. And how many years ago has that been? Fifteen years ago. Now see, when you get rid of your sin, when, when, you, when you get rid of your sin... And you curse whatever sickness has come upon you. Once you get rid of all sin, and one of the greatest sins today that's killing us is the lack of knowledge of the Word of God. I mean, when the devil comes to put us to the test, we don't know what's going on. And so we start pleading with God, begging God. And he said, well, yeah, I sent that beast to do this to you because of your sin. Now, you need, you need to straighten your act up. But see, we don't know that. We don't know we've got to repent. We don't know we've got to stop doing what we're doing. But when you get a hold of the fact, what the Word of God says, you know, Jesus, as we read last week, 
and or the other night Sunday, I think we did this again, when we was over there in Job 33, it says the Lord, when we sin, we do all these things the Lord speaks to us over and over and over. Speaks to us. How does He speak to us? Some guy walks up and says, Michael, I think you've been doing something wrong in the church lately. You say, get out of here. I'm not doing nothing wrong. See? But that was God trying to talk to you. Then a little later, another friend walks up and says, Michael, I, you know, you hadn't been doing things just right down there. Get out of here, Ty. I know what I'm doing. See, God's speaking to you and speaking to you and speaking to you. And then he says, then he, if you don't listen to me and Ty, then he says, I send dreams to terrify you at night in your sleep. And you have these dreams. You say, wake up in the morning with a terrifying dream. You need to stop sinning. I rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what we do. But it's God sending these dreams to terrify us. He says to keep us from the grave. You know? And then he says, then when we don't listen, he said, then he sends sickness and pain to your body. And in sickness and pain, and he sends it into your bones to get your attention. When you finally come to the point, said you waste away till you get to the point where you don't even want good stuff to eat. I thought tonight, you know, as I sat down, had some spaghetti and meat sauce, and then I looked over there, and there was a, one pretty nice-sized piece of pecan pie left. <laughs> Only one. And I looked over, and I said, Cheryl, honey, do you want part of that pie? She said, sure. I thought, oh, shucks. I, <laughs> I shouldn't have asked her. I should have just eat it all. <laughs> so I cut it and do it, give her half of it, I eat half of it. I was grateful for all of it. You know, but it says, in your pain and suffering as you waste away, even the beautiful, you know, delicious food don't even look good to you no more. You don't want them no more. And you're wasting away, and the angels of death sit at your door, waiting to take you to death. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes by. Somebody that comes by can intercede. A righteous and holy person comes by and intercedes and shows that there's a ransom for you. And God hears their prayer. And He saves you and raises you back up. And then your flesh becomes fresh and new again. And then you find, you said, Lord, I sinned. But it wasn't worth it. That was an awful price I had to pay. I'm sorry. So the secret there is don't sin. You know, don't walk in that sin. Walk in holiness. Walk in obedience to His Word. And when you walk in obedience to His Word, you don't have to have that cancer come back no more, do you, Michael? Glory. And that's a whole lot better than cancer aided. <laughs> Praise God. I'm telling you, it's so wonderful. You know, so the thing about it is we got to learn to obey God and walk holy before Him and learn who we are as children of God. And there is only one you have to please. How many gods is there? One. And He's ours. And He's the only one you got to please. Now, if you please Him, and you make him happy in everything you do. He says, I will send a hedge of protection to put around you. And no sickness and disease will come near your body. Now, that's where we want to live, isn't it? Amen. Amen. That's where I want to live. I want to live there. I want to be. I don't want. I thought as I thought today about this guy. He said, my dad wants to sell this airplane that he had out there. And I said, well, why? He said, because he's getting old and stove up. And he can't get in it no more. I said, well, how old is your dad? He said, oh, he's 60. He's old and stove up. He's 60. He has a, some kind of a disease that's crippling him. And I thought, oh, God. 
Lord, thank you that I've read your word. Thank you that I'm 68 and I can, Joseph's 77. And he comes in in the evening and help me put these chairs out. You know, praise the king. You know, that's the way we want to be, right, Joseph? Healthy and able to get and go and do things. You know, you don't want to be crippled and stove up. But just think, if you are a Christian and you don't know who God is, and you don't spend that time with him, loving him and worshiping him, I can assure you the tormenting spirits will come to you and they will be sent to you by God. He will send them. So he's sending them to get our attention, to let us know, hey, we need to straighten our act up and be ye holy, for I am holy. And so if we are holy, the king clearly promised in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He clearly promised that I will keep the devil from you. When you look at the Old Testament, you know the thing that I've noticed, that I've read the Old Testament, Satan is very, very rarely even mentioned in the Old Testament. And there's not a single time anybody ever was allowed to cast the devil out of nobody. That never happened until the New Testament. Only then that did Jesus give us power and authority over those devils. And I've come to realize, and I, I, as Dave and I was talking today, as we were, we were going along there, we were talking, I told him, I said, you know, it was an awesome experience years ago when that Baptist preacher asked me to come over to that house, and he had a woman that was sick, and he could not get her healed. And she had been to the doctor. She'd had a hysterectomy. She'd had all kinds of things, and she wasn't getting any better. She was getting worse. And he said, I believe her problem is spiritual. Well, let me tell you, I've learned all sickness and disease is spiritual. Not just part of it, all of it comes from a spiritual law you have broken. Well, this woman had broken a spiritual law of God, had gotten into unforgiveness toward a man that had treated her wrong, had done her wrong. I mean, she looked like she was justified in the unforgiveness. But in God's sight, she was not. And so it had sent a tormenting spirit to her, and she was down with her back and all kinds of suffering. And when I went over there, I sat down with this woman, which was talking to me, mean. I never met this woman in my life, never seen her. But she was threatening to hurt me. She was going to kick me out of her house, all kinds of stuff. I began to rebuke the devil, commanded to leave. And that devil spoke right out of her mouth. No, I am not coming out. I have legal right to be here. I thought, that lying devil, you know. I said, the Lord told me the devil's a liar. I said, you lying devil, you don't have legal right to be in here. I said, come out of there in the name of Jesus. I'm hollering at her and that devil. And he would not come out. And finally, I said, Lord. I said, Lord, I mean, I'm praying now within myself. I'm not talking out loud. I said, Lord, this devil tells me he's got legal right to be here, and I'm commanding him in your name, and this beast is not leaving. I said, Lord, what have I done wrong? He said, you haven't done nothing wrong. He said, that devil's there because I sent him there. I said, God, you sent the devil to this woman? I had never seen this side of God. He said, yes. I said, why? He said, because of her unforgiveness. I said, ma'am. I said, who do you have unforgiveness toward? And her husband said, oh, I know who that is. said, it's her first husband. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, you see them two boys over there? I said, yeah. I said, them two big ones. said, he's the daddy of those two boys. And said, when that second one was born, and he was born and in the hospital, he run off and left her and never helped her, never provided a nickel for her, and left her penny broke and everything else. And he said, she has hated him with a passion ever since. I said, ma'am, 
you've got to forgive him. She said, no, I ain't never going to forgive him for what he did to me. I said, he has ruined your whole life up to now. Don't let him ruin the rest of it. I said, now, in the name of Jesus, I command you to forgive that man from your heart. I finally drug that out of her, finally. When I got her to, with her own mouth to say, I forgive so-and-so from my heart, I said, now, you devil of hell, you have no right. I said, out in the name of Jesus, and immediately that demon left. He was gone just like that, and she became become a new woman. I said, what you need is Jesus Christ. A few minutes ago, I said that, and she said, no, I don't want nothing to do with him. And when I said, now what you need is Jesus, she said, yes, 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 I want to get saved. I led her to Jesus. The woman jumped up off of the couch she was sitting on, grabbed me. When she jumped, I jumped because I thought she was fixing to attack me. <laughs> hey, you know, you don't ever know what's going on. I mean, I'm fairly new in this stuff. You know, I don't know what's going on. I'm cautious, you know. So, I mean, when she jumped at me, I jumped. And, of course, I jumped up. She grabbed me around neck and kissed me on the cheek said, I'm so grateful to you. She said, you've got to pray for my boys. You've got to pray for my husband. I thought, wow, what a difference. This woman a few minutes ago was going to throw me out. You know how them demons are, don't you, Ty? Yeah, you've been there. But I didn't know these things very well. This is when I was first learning. You know, I mean, I can tell these stories on Ty when he's scared. Well, hey, I can tell them on me, too. (laughs) I was just as scared as he was. I didn't know nothing. But that day, that whole woman's life changed and everything, and I learned a great principle. And when the devil comes to you, he comes because God sends him because of your disobedience. Now then, once you repent of the sin, now he does not have any more legal right, and all you've got to do is command him to leave, and he has to leave, and he has to stay gone if you command him. Just like Michael said, I command you to never return. And he stayed gone forever, because if you don't do that, he will come back. He, God's given you a set of principles in his word, and he give us those principles, even the little boy. When you read it, he said, and I command you to come out and don't ever enter him again. See, that's a principle, and if you use that principle, the devil leaves, and then he has to obey that word. Because that's a principle God set down in his word. Now, if you repent of your sin, and the devil leaves, he may come back to torment you to try to get back in. There's no two ways about it. I see this all the time. So when he comes back and somebody says something. I mean, it's happened to me. You know, it's happened to every one of you, I know. Somebody does something, and your life may be going blessed today. You may be having a great day. Maybe one of you and your children, or you and your husband, or you and one of your loved ones, and everything's going great. You're loving today. And all of a sudden, you see something on television that reminds me of something that your loved one, or your husband, or your wife, or whatever did, and all of a sudden... You think, that devil speaks to you, and you listen to that voice. And all of a sudden, you're mad at the world. Anybody ever been there in their life besides me? I think every one of us have been. We know that devil does that, doesn't he? And God sent this devil to put you and me to the test. Now, that when we know the word, when that comes, and you think the devil says, you know, just look at that guy. Look what he just done to you. Just get him. Yeah. Now, you got, you got a thought to you know, you've you got to capture the thought and say, oh, no, devil, in the name of Jesus, I'm not going there. I mean, yeah, he might have said something that I, I'm taking wrong, whatever, but the Lord says for me to love him. The Lord says for me to forgive him. So, devil, in the name of Jesus, I am not going there. I'm not going to give place to you. You're out of here, and you're not going to do this to me in the name of Jesus. And if there's any doubt, you know, that, that you're, the devil doesn't believe you, walk over to that guy. If it's a guy, walk over and put your arm around him and say, you know, I just want to tell you right now I love you. 
I just want to tell you I love you. The devil said, well, I missed that one. I'll go, I'll go get an easier one. <laughs> yeah, but men and, men and wives, where well, this happens all the time. You know, husbands and wives. The devil does this to husbands and wives. You know, I mean, I, I think about that gentleman that was here one time. I don't remember his name. But he'd come up here and he said, can I give a testimony? I said, sure. He said, you see that woman sitting right back there? I said, yes, sir. He said, me and that woman have been married 50 years. I said, well, praise God. But he said, a couple of weeks ago, we had a very serious disagreement. Uh-oh, if you've been married 50 years and still have serious disagreements, it's the still a devil out there, isn't there? He said, we had a serious disagreement, and I went to bed mad at her. He said, the next morning I woke up with a serious pain in my back and down my leg. He said, I've been to your church before. I heard you say this is the devil. So he said, I got up the next morning with that pain in my back and my leg, and I said, you devil of hell, you come out of me in the name of Jesus. And he said, when I did, it intensified. He said, I couldn't hardly stand up. He said, now, wait a minute, what's wrong with this? He said, oh, wait a minute, Thurman said, you've got to repent first. <laughs> so he said, okay, Lord, I repent for being mad at my wife. And he said, I rebuked that devil, and he got worse. He said, now, wait a minute. He said, uh-oh, i got to repent to my wife, too. So he said, I went and found my wife, and I said, honey, will you forgive me for getting mad at you last night? And she said, yes, Absolutely. He said, okay, now I've repented to God. I've repented to Mom. He said, now you devil of hell, you've got to leave. He said, the pain left just like that. He said, I have not had a back pain since. But he said, I learned a great principle right there. And he said, you taught me these things. But he said, whenever I had that pain, I thought, well, this comes from the devil. Now then, if God sent that devil, and he's there because this man's got a disagreement against his wife, and he said, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. And God said, devil, get him. So the devil just... And man, it, he put some hurt on him. Now see, when you get a hold of this picture of what's going on, you'll straighten your act up. You'll start walking in love all the time because I like to walk in divine health, don't you? Which one's better, Michael, cancer or divine health? Divine health. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Since you've been there on both sides, that's a no-brainer. But do you know to walk in divine health, you have to obey God's Word. Do you know that? You have to obey because the king judges righteously and he has no favorites. He tells us right here in his Word. So it don't make any difference who you are, what you've done, how long you've worked for him or nothing else. He has no favorites and he judges each one of us accordingly. But he is God and he's in control. You've got to get a hold of this. You've got to get a hold of what he's doing here. Then it says here, let's go on down here where you were. For you have been born again. Your new life did not come from you. From your earthly parents because the new life they gave you will end in death. But the new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the prophet said, people are like grass that fade away or that die away. Their beauty fades as quickly as the beauty of the wild flower. The grass withers and the flowers fall away, but the word of the Lord will last forever. That's another question the young Baptist preacher asked me. He said, you don't believe you have to be sick again? I said, no. I said, I received Jesus Christ as my personal healer by faith 
over 20 years ago, and I've not had one single sick day since. And I said, I will never have another sick day because I'm going to obey his word. He said, then how are you going to die? I said, that's real simple. I said, he's going, when he gets through with me, he's going to take away my breath and translate me into heaven. I said, I, he said, you mean you think you can live and die with no sickness and disease? I said, guarantee I can. No pain, no nothing. Whenever the king gets through with me, I said, one day I want to be up standing up there preaching the word. I want to see, see, be seeing people saved, healed, and delivered. And one comes up and says, I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. And I lead the guy to Jesus, and I'm an old man now, 150 years old or whatever. <laughs> or like Abraham, 175 years old. You know, whatever. And the Lord says, that's it, son. That's the last one I have for you. Bam, I'm bringing you to heaven right now. Can he do that, Michael? Amen, he can do that, and this old body will fall down limp, and the spirit and soul is going to be gone, and I'm going to be in heaven, and I'm going to be with my heavenly Father. I don't have to go there sick and afflicted, because he bore my sickness, and he removed my disease. You know, And I think about here a while back, whenever I had the attack on my legs, it's been several months ago when that happened, but it really was a serious attack. And Of course, Ty being a doctor, Eldon came over and prayed over me too, and, of course, the tie wouldn't have it no way except I get off my leg, go to the house, put my foot up, and lay there. And so, I mean, you know, he's got too much doctor in him. He prayed for me. Believe God's going to heal me. <laughs> he still made me do something else. So I obeyed him. I went to the house, and I laid down on the bed, and I laid there, my foot propped up and all the stuff after they prayed on me and everything. And I'm letting say, and I said, I said, Lord, I had my Bible there. And I said, Lord, I'm reading and studying. And I said, Lord, I sure do need a word from you right now. I said, my body my leg sure does look bad. And it did, didn't it, Ty? It looked bad. So, and of course, Ty, he's no help, you know, when he comes in. He says, you know, what you've got, if you weren't such a man of faith, I'd take you to the hospital right now. we do surgery on you because what you've got is life-threatening. I thought, gee, what a friend. <laughs> he's telling me the truth. That, that it was, and it is, and, and those kind of things have killed people. But anyway, I said, Lord... I sure do need a word from you right now. How many of you, when you're getting in here, when your body's hurting, you need a word from God? Every one of us. I needed one too. Although I try to walk in great faith, I still needed a word from God. And it would have been nice if he had just spoke to me audibly and said, Son, don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. That would have really made me feel good, Keith. <laughs> but he didn't do that. So I took my Bible and I just throwed it over on the side of the bed. And it was the King James. And it Bop, flopped open, and I looked, and right there my eyes fell on Matthew 8:17. Anybody know what Matthew 8:17 says? If you don't, turn your Bible and somebody read that to me. I want you to see what, what it said. When I throw that Bible over there, I mean, if you don't think God can ordain and orchestrate this whole thing, when you throw your Bible over there, when you just ask him that question, right, Deborah, you know he can do that, don't you? He's done it for you a few times. Yes, he has. But he done it for me that day. I throwed that Bible over there. I, and it fell to Matthew eight seventeen, And it made a statement. And what you got yours found there, Keith? What, what does Matthew eight seventeen say? Eight seventeen says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. <laughs> Did I need that word, Deborah? Who, who, who took my sickness and my infirmities? Christ did. So if he took it, 
what should you and me be worried about? If we got all of our sins repented of, should we be concerned about anything, Shelley? But I got to trust him, and my leg looks awful, and my doctor says it's bad. <laughs> That's a good part about Ty. He's got all this doctor in him, and I love it, but sometimes he's got too much doctor in him. <laughs> but he, he, God put me and him together for a purpose. He knows there's times we've got to minister to the spirit, there's times we've got to minister to the soul, and there's times we've got to minister to the body. You know, and there's different ways of doing it. And I, I think about the time that I heard Dr. Sherry say, and I know that R.W. Schambach is one of God's chosen people, and he has walked in miracles and healings and all kinds of things. But Cherry, all of y'all I'm sure have heard of Dr. Cherry. He's on TBN all the time. You never heard of Dr. Cherry? Some of, I'm sure most of you have. But if you watch TBN very much, you'll see Dr. Cherry. He has a, a health program on there. He's one of the greatest doctors. He's down close to Houston, Texas, and he's got a great uh, operation down there. And he's a Christian doctor. He prays over people. I mean, and God speaks to him regularly. He's sitting there watching television one night, and R.W. Schambach was on the set. And the Lord spoke to Dr. Regional Cherry and said, Call Schambach and tell him to come to your office. You need to check him. He has some arteries plugged up in his heart. So he said, I call R.W. immediately. And I got a hold of him and told him, I said, R.W., the Lord spoke to me and told me you need to come down here. And I need to check you. You've had some arteries plugged up in your heart. Now, do you think God could open those arteries? Of course he could. But why did he tell Dr. Cherry? See, I don't know this. I don't have this answer. Dr. Cherry didn't have this answer. But he said he called Shambach and told him. And Shambach said, look, I feel perfect. There ain't nothing wrong with me. You know, he said, I ain't got time. I got a schedule. He said, look, the Lord spoke to me and told me to tell you to get down here tomorrow. Tomorrow. I've got to check you. He said, okay, if God told you, I'll come. So he got on an airplane, went down there. And, of course, if you want an appointment with, with Dr. Cherry, you don't call him tonight and expect to get in his office tomorrow. <laughs> but God can do that, can't he? He carries a little bit of weight, you know, the king does. And so he checked him the next day, and sure enough, he had several arteries plugged up and had done surgery on him immediately. Immediately. Why did God do it that way? I don't know. I don't have a clue. But R.W. come through it with flying colors. He's great shape. You probably heard the story yourself, haven't you, Michael? He's doing great. He's out preaching the word and everything. Now, God could have kept those arteries unplugged. He could have unstopped them. But he didn't. He let him go through that terrible surgery to open him up, you know, to fix his arteries. But, hey, if God spoke to Cherry and told him what to do and told him to do this, and they prayed, and God said, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal him, okay, but you're going to do surgery on him. Then I don't understand this part of God. You know, but i gotta, I got something to tell you about God. There's a lot of things about God I don't understand. You know that? You know, he's just a little bit bigger than most of us, isn't he? Yeah, just a little bit bigger. But our bodies are going to die, just like the Scripture says, someday. Nobody knows when, but they are going to pass away. So, we're just like a flower. We're here today and gone tomorrow. In fact, one thing I think about is I walk around and look. Every tree I look at has only been here a few years. I see trees you plant, 
And they're here, grow up beautiful, leaves, flowers, maybe get big. And then all of a sudden, one day you look out there and the tree is dead. Or you plant flowers and they're beautiful only for a little short season. And then they're gone. And on this earth, everything you and I look at, everything that's here that we see is virtually brand new. Now, true, there's some trees out in California that's been there a thousand years, they say. Yeah, those are old trees, but still, they've only been there a thousand years. How long has the earth been here? At least 6,000 that we know, and probably a lot longer than that. Really, a whole lot longer than that. But do you know anybody today that's over 120 years old? I don't know anybody that's 120 years old. I don't know many people that's over 80 years old. You know that? Most people never get to be 80. When you see one like Joseph at 77, as good a shape as he in, man, this guy's done something right. He's done something right. But you know, every one of us as Christians should live to be old, healthy people because God made us a promise. I will satisfy you with long life. That's what that man down there, that Catholic guy, when he said something about being old, I said, well, how old are you? He said, well, I'm a whole lot older than you are. I said, well, how old are you? He said, I'm 58. I said, wow, thank you, sir. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm 68. He said, there ain't no way you're 68. He reached over and said, look at that smooth skin. Ain't no wrinkles on that. I said, that's okay. I'm 68. You want to see my driver's license? <laughs> hey, I love to be 68 and can act like an 18-year-old. I love it. You know, I love being able to do the things I can do. I love living. It's fun. But I believe that's the way God, I believe that's the way God planned for life to be for his children. I think we're supposed to be young and active and walk clean and pure and holy before him. And I think that we ought to not even talk about being old. I think when we get to be 70, 80, 90 years old, we ought to still, there shouldn't be a negative word in us. Somebody said, boy, how old are you? I said, oh, I'm only 90. You know, praise God. You know, and you're out jumping around, playing, and you go in place doing that. They said, nah, you can't be 90. So, oh, yeah, I am. You know, so that, that's wonderful. You know, but most people can't confess that. You know, these promises, that's just like when I was talking to this young Baptist guy. I said, uh, son, I'm going to tell you that I've never run into a single person yet, not one, that believes this book. I said, no, that's sad. He said, I believe this book. I said, no, you don't. No, you don't. I said, in fact, he was talking about a cold and a runny nose and everything he had and how his throat was all uh, raw and all this kind of stuff. And I said, you know, if you and your wife believed Matthew 18, 19, one verse, you'd get rid of that. I said, do you know that verse? No. See, I said, that's what's wrong. You don't know that verse. I said, I know you've read it, but see, you don't believe it. How many people do you know that have read that promise in Matthew 18, 19, have highlighted it and underlined it, but whenever something happens, they never go get somebody to pray in agreement with them? It happens all the time. Once you learn these promises, and you know the answer is yes to his promises all the time, you'll find your prayer warrior to start praying with on a regular basis whenever something comes upon you. You know, you won't, you won't take it laying down no more like you used to. You just won't do it. You know, I mean, Cheryl can wake up with anything. You know, and men, I mean, if she's got a pain or pain in her neck or her back or her ear or head or eye or whatever, I mean, she's on the phone. Honey, I woke up this morning, call, pray for me over the phone. Where are you at? Well, I'm up in the ministry. Get back here and lay hands on me and pray for me. <laughs> you know, 
But that's the way we should be as Christians. You know, and of course, <clears throat> when something happens, she always says, just like I do, Lord, if we've done anything, if we've done anything we don't know sin, Lord, we repent. You know, we repent because we want our prayers answered. And because God promised to answer your prayer as his children. He promised to answer them. You know, so start believing him. So he says, in chapter 2, he says, so get rid of a little bit of your malicious behavior and deceit. In chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Oh, you're laughing there, Keith. What did he say? Oh, my goodness. Surely, surely God don't want to take away some of our fun. I mean, we look at those kind of things as fun, don't we? But he tells us as children of God to get rid of all of that, doesn't he? Every bit of it. So get rid of all malicious behavior and deceit. Get rid of it. Don't just pretend to be good. I see a lot of people that come to church, man, they're on their best foot. They wouldn't think about using a word of profanity in church. They wouldn't think about telling a lie in church. But they leave here. And they go out and do all kinds of bad things. The Lord says, don't just pretend to be good. Be done with hypocrisy and jealousy and backbiting. You must crave pure spiritual milk so that you can grow into the fullness of your salvation. Pure spiritual food. What is pure spiritual food? The Word. That's exactly right. Crave it. You know, have a desire for it. You know, want every time you, I mean, get you a translation that you can read, that you enjoy reading. And then when you're at home or when you're on a business trip or out of town or wherever you are, you've got a little bit of time, open your Bible and sit there and read this thing. And when you do, just don't open it and start reading. Open the Bible and say, Lord, I rebuke the devil that's been sent to try to steal this word out of my heart. I know that I have been given power and authority. I know he's been sent to steal the word out of my heart. But I'm not going to let him. You know, I'm not going to let him do that. Now, I'm asking you, Father, in Jesus' name, to give me spiritual understanding, revelation and wisdom and knowledge from this mighty word so that I can understand the deep, hidden truths of the word of God. So I can walk in these wonderful things that you want me to have. Now, when you pray like that, You've just opened the door to a new level of understanding from God's Word. He said, ask and you shall receive. What if you don't ask for it? You probably never get it. Probably never get it. Although he wants you to have it. He said, I know what you have need of even before you ask. You know, when I think about these kind of things and how we don't ask, of course, I've, all of you have heard me tell the story about Cheryl's feet how she had been had cold feet all those years, 56 years of her life. She's born that way, thought she had to be that way all of her life. And I told her, no, that's not true. You don't have to be like that. We can get those feet healed. We can get those arteries open. We can get the blood flowing through that, and we can get them warm. And we agreed in prayer that night, and the Lord opened those arteries, and she has never had cold feet since that day. Had a 56 years, but the last three years, they've been warm. No problem. Isn't it amazing what we can get done in faith, Keith? Sure, just like your eye that time, man. You stood by faith, and God healed it for you, didn't he? Hey, it works fine. Praise the Lord. Well, um, after all, an eye's not important to a pilot, is it? Not very. <laughs> you just got to have 20-20 perfect, that's all. 
If you don't have 20-20, you can't be an airline pilot. Those eyes have to be perfect. I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but the guy that's sitting up front, if I'm sitting back there with 100 or 200 or 300 people, I want the guy sitting up front to be able to see the runway, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I want him to see. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, I don't want him to be seeing double that day, that's for sure, or three <laughs> or whatever. I want him to land on the runway, not on the wrong one. <laughs> so... That's why that those guys have to go through such a rigid uh, physical. And I get a captain, you have to have one every six months? That's what I thought. Every six months he has to go through that rigid test and pass that physical. And then it doesn't make it there. What happens to him when he gets to his 60th birthday? That's the last birthday. They won't let you fly those jets after you get to be 60. When you pass 60 years of age, it's over. I don't care if you can still pass that physical. You're over. They won't let you fly. So you won't never see a pilot sitting in a, a commercial airliner that's over 60 years of age. They won't let you fly. Now, that guy can go out and fly for some other commercial airline. I mean, not an airline carrying people, but that may be carrying cargo or all kinds of stuff. They fly for those, but they won't let you carry people. So, you, like I say, you won't ever have to worry about a guy over 60 in the front. They think when you're 60, you're over the hill, right? That's right. That's what the world says. When you pass 60... You're over the hill, so you can't fly our airlines. So, he says here, you must crave pure spiritual milk. You must crave it. You know, how many people do you know that crave the Word of God? Very few. You know, you must crave this. You want it. You tell God, God, I want to know this. I know Ty is really good about it. When he comes to the Lord, he gets on his face and says, Lord, please give me understanding and wisdom and knowledge from this book. I know he prays that all the time. I've heard him pray it over me. I know he prays it for himself regularly. But how do you think we get this wisdom and revelation and knowledge? We pray and we believe God and ask him. And then he opens the door for us when we get in the word. And then he says here, after you crave this spiritual, so you can grow in the fullness of your salvation, then he says, cry out for this nourishment. Cry out for it as a baby cries for milk. When I think about a new baby that can't talk, they wake up and they're hungry. What do they do, Shelley? You've raised a couple of them, you know. I mean, they let mama know they're ready for dinner. And somebody says, what's wrong with that child? Man, they're just, they're hungry. You know, they want something to eat, and the only way they know to tell you is they're crying out. So you find out you plug a bottle in their mouth, and they go to eating that thing. Just like the other night, uh, Dave, little John, he was getting ready to put him to bed, and he went in there, and he filled a bottle of something, and of course the bottle wasn't but about that tall, about that big around, and he put some milk, and, and I don't know what all he put in there, but he mixed up a pretty nice little solution of stuff. And I said, he likes that. He said, man, he loves this. So he gave it to him, put him in, put him into bed. It wasn't but just a few minutes. He's in there screaming. What's wrong with him? He goes in there and looks, and his bottle's empty. He didn't get enough, you know. I told Dave when he brought it in, it's already empty. I said, good grief, he's getting to be a two-year-old boy, and he's one about this tall now. <laughs> you know? So he'll get enough to put him to sleep. But he, couldn't, he can't talk yet, see, so he just starts screaming. He's sucking air. He wants some more groceries. <laughs> So he's crying out. What he's saying is, Daddy, I want something else to eat. You know, that's what the Lord's telling us. Cry out for this spiritual word. 
for this nourishment of the Word. Lord, I want this. Cry out to Him. Lord, please give me the revelation and the wisdom and the knowledge that I want. I want to understand you. If you don't cry out for this, you don't plead with Him for this deep understanding and this deep wisdom and knowledge that He's getting in the, as written in this book, He won't never give it to you just accidentally. You won't get it unless you do it the way He told you to do it. When you cry out for Him, to Him, for this, He will give it to you. It says, cry out for this nourishment as a baby cries for milk. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Wow. Every time you get a taste of what He's got for you, and you start seeing Him do these mighty wonderful things, I remember how little I used to pray. And then I remember when Cliff, Clifton Wayne Hurley, I remember that young man, teenage boy, he come in one night and he had a great big old white thing on the top of his hand. I said, Cliff, I said, what's wrong? As a, friend, a, a good friend of mine's son, I said, Cliff, what's wrong with your hand? He said, oh, Mr. Scrivener, I got this great big old wart on my hand. And I said, what's that stuff on it? He said, well, that's the white stuff I've been putting on there to try to get it to come off. I said, well, how would you like to get it to, off? He said, I, I, that's what I'm trying to do is get it off, but I, can't, I don't have any luck. I said, write your full name down on a piece of paper for me. He wrote his full name down on a piece of paper. Now, this was my first experience with seeing God do something supernatural. Uh, many years before, a lady had prayed for me the same way. I had warts on my body. And she prayed, and they come up. A Baptist Sunday school teacher. Wow. God does hear the prayer of Baptists. You know, all he needs is anybody that comes to him in faith. This woman promised me when I wrote my name down. She said, I guarantee those warts will come off of your hand and off of your body. Now, I didn't know how they were going to come off. I had never seen anything like this here. I'm an 18-year-old boy. I got all these warts on my hands, my arms, my elbows, and, and everything else. And all I did was up and write my name down on a piece of paper. And she went in and got on her face before God. And she prayed a simple little prayer and was able to guarantee me they'd come off. And in about three or four weeks, whatever Every word on my body was gone. I saw that happen to me, but I didn't have the faith to use it for years. Although she told me the little simple prayer that she said. Years later, when I saw Cliff with well, that one, I said, Cliff, how would you like for that war to go away on your body? Now, all this power was available to me all those years, and I did never use none of it. Isn't that a shame? And I had him write his name down. I went home and I quoted that simple little prayer. Before the throne of grace. And three weeks later, Clifton Wayne Hurley called me and said, Thurman, praise God. You remember that big wart you said it come off? Said it's gone. And you know what, I, you know what the great man of faith said? You don't mean it. <laughs> we all had to start somewhere, Michael. Don't you laugh at me. <laughs> we all had to start somewhere. Right, Keith? We have to start on rock bottom. Well, let me tell you, I was on rock bottom. I prayed that prayer for that young boy and guaranteed him that water would come off, and God took that off. But after I saw God take that off, guess what I started doing? I started looking for people to pray for. You know, I thought, wow, he did it for him. I wonder what else he'll do if I pray in faith. And so that's what started my walk with God, you know, on, of course, I guess it started way back there, but each one of those was a little stepping stone. So when I saw God take that ward off the back of Cliff uh, Hurley's hand, I thought, wow. So guess what that causes you to do? You start doing what he says. You start 
desiring this spiritual food. You start crying out, Lord, I need more understanding. I don't know. I've never seen you do these kind of things. Now you're doing them, Lord. I want to know how they work. Lord, please give me the revelation, the wisdom, the knowledge. Then I'd find a scripture like this. And I'd say, Lord, you told me to cry out to you. So I'd say, Lord, please. And, of course, I'm in the study. Nobody's around. I'm saying, Lord, please. You said cry out for this nourishment as a baby cries for milk. So I said, Lord, please fill me with this knowledge and wisdom of your word. And he started doing it. Slowly but surely, he started doing it. And I began to see him do these great and awesome things. Now he says, Come to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by the people, but he is precious to God who chose him. And now God is building you. Now he's building you as a living stone into his spiritual temple. What more, you are God's holy priest who offer these spiritual sacrifices that please him because of Jesus Christ, as the scripture expresses it, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem, a chosen cornerstone, and anyone who believes in him will never be disappointed. Wow. Just think, we have been made a nation of kings and priests and princesses. That's why you've got to see yourself like God sees you. How does he see you? As a beautiful princess. Isn't that awesome? It don't make any difference what the world done to you. It don't make any difference if you had a rotten mother. It don't make no difference if you had a rotten daddy. It makes no difference if you had rotten brothers and sisters that abused you when you was growing up. Get over it. Remember, today you've been washed and clean, and you are a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. And you've got on a white robe that's clean and holy, and I think it's time we get a hold of that. And as when, when you really get a hold of that, everything you've done in your past or everything that's happened in your past, you say, that's past and that's junk and that's washed away and that's under the blood and I ain't never going to let that stuff come back up again. Never. I'm going to forget it and I'm going to walk holy and obedient to the Word of God from this day forth. And the devil one day will raise his ugly head and say, but you know... You were a worthless whatever. You remember when you did this sin when you were 16? Oh, yeah, devil, unfortunately. I remember that. But God don't remember it. That's Cheryl's favorite verse. He put my sins as far as the east is the west and never remember them again. So anything the devil brings up in her past, he says, she says, devil, you can forget that. Yeah, I've done some of those stupid things, just like all the rest of the people. But they're washed under the blood, and now I'm a clean princess before the king of the universe. So you might as well get out of my house. You're not getting through to me. And that's where you got to live. That's where every one of us got to live. Right, honey? Sure. I have to live there. You have to live there. And let me tell you, when you get a hold of that, you are a priest that's there to offer a sacrifice to God. Wow. What a position that he's given us, isn't it? Awesome. Made us a nation of kings and priests. And princesses. Uh, he's building his temple to think those stones, those living stones that we are, those jewels. See yourself as a diamond or a ruby or whatever you want to be. That is the beautiful stone that he's placed in his temple. And there you are. You're, there you're a beautiful. Can you imagine if you were to walk up to a house that had brick in it? 
and all of a sudden there was one big giant ruby about this big perfectly cut and one big beautiful diamond perfectly cut right beside it with lights that were moving on that and they was coming off of all the cuts. Can you imagine how the contrast would be between the ruby and the diamond and the old dull bricks? The bricks wouldn't catch your attention, would they? Not at all. But that's what we are supposed to be. Now, unfortunately, that picture I just saw of that, I think that's a picture of the church. A lot of the church is just a regular brick. They're not doing anything for God. They're really not doing anything. But those that are working and doing what he says, you have been made a beautiful ruby or a beautiful diamond and you're glistening. In fact, he says in his word, he said to those of you that win souls are wise and you shall shine as the stars in the firmament forever. Isn't that awesome? To think that you're going to shine if you've been wise and led people into the kingdom of God. Some of the rest of the church will come out and say, Wow, what's that bright light over there shining? And the Lord might say, Oh, that's, He might put your, one of your names on it. Oh, that's who that is. That's you, or that's that. Wow. To them that overcome on the earth, to him or her, will I allow them to sit with me in my throne. Revelation 3.20. Because I was an overcomer on the earth, he says, and my father let me sit with him in his throne. So to each one of you that become an overcomer, I will let you sit with me in my throne. How would you like to sit there with him, shall I? I would too. Well, let me tell you, it don't come without work. It don't come without studying the Word. It don't come without producing fruit for the kingdom of God. It don't come without trials and tests. And the brighter you're going to shine, you're going to be put under more and more pressure and more trials and more tests. But as you overcome them, you're a diamond in the rough that's being polished. You know, can you imagine an old rock that they bring forth from the quarry, a diamond. You know, raw diamonds are not pretty at all. They're really not pretty. But boy, when that guy gets through cutting all them corners and everything, they become a very beautiful stone. And they become worth millions. Millions. That's just a rock. That's worth millions. And how much more do you think you're worth in the kingdom? Work hard to be one of those precious, beautiful stones that he's making us into his temple. Wow. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the privilege to come another evening and to take your word and read it and study it. And Lord, we want to be those holy, pure children of yours. We're not just friends or servants anymore. We're children of the Most High God. So, Lord, we cry out for this spiritual food. We cry out for this nourishment. We cry out for this, Lord. We want this deep understanding. And we want our stone to be polished. Lord, we know that's going to come with tremendous persecution and suffering and pain. But, Lord, we're willing to endure whatever it takes to be able to make 
into that stone because that stone's going to shine through eternity forever. So the few years we're going to be here, it ain't nothing, nothing compared to eternity. So, Lord, whatever you have for us, we're ready to encounter it, and we're ready to endure it with patience because you told us to. So, Father, thank you for your precious word, how you're conforming us into your image and making us into these beautiful stones that's a part of your temple. Lord, we want our stone to shine forever. And we thank you for making us these stones. Thank you for the privilege, Father, for loving you and for loving us and letting us see these great and awesome principles in your word. Bless us as we go forth this week and use us to bring fruit into the kingdom of God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name.